0: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax—the way car buying should be.
1: Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel, uh, Andy Dufresne of Kangaroos,
2: Pete <laughs> all. Nobody uses more empty suit buzzwords than the NCAA. I mean, they have like a, they could they could write a book about it. Chicken soup for the empty buzzword soul. <laughs>
3: And S.I.'s Pat Forty. We need to keep him on retainer because the the environment reporter at NOLA.com
1: is seeing some stuff. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. I want to start with this uh, story that came across our desks at the Yahoo Sports College podcast headquarters uh, here on Thursday. A new basketball league backed by a sports media company is entering intensifying debate over whether student-athletes should be paid by starting a venture that will offer high school basketball players $100,000 salaries to skip college. This is according to the New York Times. The league overtime elite would compete directly with the NCAA for the nation's top high school boys by employing about 30 of them who would circumvent the behemoth of college athletic sports. I got to edit this. should edit this. (laughs) Um, Overtime (laughs) will offer... Well, you don't use sports twice in the same sentence. You don't athletics. have editors of the New York Times. I don't gotta, know.
2: As my employment there showed, they'll hire anybody. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much.
1: Overtime will offer each athlete, some of them as young as 16, a minimum of 100 grand annually, as well as a signing bonus and a small number of shares in Overtime's larger business. The company will also provide health and disability insurance, set aside 100 grand in scholarship money for each player in case any decide not to pursue basketball professionally. The trade off is major. Accept the deal, you forfeit your thing. Okay, so these are always popping up. People have got alternatives and all these different things. Uh, this is the first time I've seen anyone willing to pay a high school basketball player who's 16 years old 100 Gs, plus all that other stuff, which is, I have questions, needless to say. Pa- Pat 40, your thoughts initially on this?
3: Uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions. And like, let me just slightly. I'll I'll play editor and edit your 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 comment there this is the first time you've heard of anybody willing to pay a 16 year old 100g to play basketball above the table because we know Nike and adidas Thank and you. those people who were already doing that um fair but enough, fair enough. yeah this is the uh, that's this is the whole marketing pitch is we are going to basically completely circumvent any amateur basketball high school and college and create this league I would bet $100 right now, this never actually happens, that this league does not ever actually form and play games. It, they, there are numerous stumbling blocks, it would seem to me. Who's going to coach? it? I already bought my overtime elite jersey, Pat, <laughs> so don't rain
2: on my yeah. parade, all right? I got double zero for Robert Perry. <laughs> there you go.
3: Who's going to coach it? who's going to own these teams? Where, like, where are they going to play? Where are they going to practice? Where are you getting the kids from? Uh, and how are you filling out rosters? The, the story I read said they want to get 30 players. You can't have a league with 30 players. <laughs> you need more than 30 players to have a league. So the math doesn't quite add up at this point. I could give you, you know, 15 philosophical issues with paying 16-year-olds six figures. I know it's done in a lot of areas, like in other countries and that sort of thing. And it, there's some in, in the United States that have got, like, Simone Biles, I don't know how old she was when she first turned professional. Uh, but that's that's one. That's Simone Biles. That's not 30 players that are are 30 gymnasts who were el- capable of of becoming six figure professionals at a young age. Uh, you know, so I, I I've got a lot of issues with this thing. And again, I will I will wait and see it happen. I'll throw up the initial <laughs> jump ball for the first game of this league. And I'll
2: be—I'll be, I'll be the mascot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the New York Times story on this—it uh, tries to be a little bit skeptical. But sometimes when they hand you the scoop, you 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 sort of tamp down the skepticism a little bit. Um, this paragraph is my favorite. Some details on what the league will actually look like or how fans can watch are still unsettled. There will be no permanent teams, but instead dynamic rosters within the league. And Porter and Weiner envision, and those are the the president and the the people in charge, envision some sort of barnstorming tour of Europe. Games will no doubt be viewable online, but overtime promises the games themselves and content around them won't look similar to typical basketball telecasts. All right, so between the three of us, there are probably not a lot more people in the media who've watched more AAU basketball or summer basketball than the three of us. There are some, certainly, recruiting analysts, all those things. But in traditional media, there are probably not more than the three of us who've sat in gyms and, and, and watched, be it at ABCD camp, be it at Nike and Indy, Peach Jam, Vegas. We've all been to all those places. All right. I got a little dirty little secret for you. The basketball sucks. It's really bad. Like, oh yes, I, I was there. I am pretty sure you were, Dan, for like LeBron James versus Lenny Cook. Yes. It was awesome. You know what else happened that day? Thirty seven other games that sucked, that were just like there was the, the air was out of the ball. It was one on one. Guys didn't run back on defense. They didn't pass. It's terrible basketball. And this essentially, if you're trying to professionalize AAU, which this essentially seems like it's going to be, it is not going to work because nobody likes basketball more than us. And we would not watch it. Now, look, if Mikey's in it, maybe some people who like Mikey on Instagram would watch. But no, they would just actually watch Mikey on Instagram. They don't want to see him play an entire basketball game. Like the actual audience for this does not exist. Like it literally does not exist. Look, the, the ratings for college basketball this year, which is an established, multi-generational uh thing, are terrible. They are horrible. They are tanked. Awful. And part of it is if you, I ask like a lot of my buddies who live in Boston or just like guys I went to college with, can you name a college basketball player? I would think a majority of the American sports fans cannot name Luke Garza or somebody like that. Like they. They they just don't know. Now, certainly there are fans. There are fans in Lexington and Durham and Syracuse and Westwood and Tucson and places in between. But, like, what this doesn't get is, like, do you really think the average fan, and you need an average-type sports fan, is going to watch, like, Jonathan Kaminga in the G League? No. Like, they'll be curious if the team they follow could draft him or if there was some mega one-on-one event. But, like, the notion of paying this much money in being naive enough to think anyone's going to consume the product is just foolish. L- college basketball, it's it's rooting for laundry. The students go because it's like something to do and it's part of the tradition. There's like layers of tradition. The non the fluid roster barnstorming Europe. I really don't know how you're going to monetize this. Because certainly there will be a niche audience of basketball junkies, but this thing is uh this thing is just completely doomed.
1: I would say this. Um, my guess here is they don't they may not even broadcast the game. All they're trying to do is buy social media rights to these players or something like that. I, to me, this is just gonna be like a reality show or uh, or you know, just Instagram dunks. And essentially, if you get the next Zion Williamson and you you have the video rights, if this guy's gonna sign away his video rights to all his dunks, You may have something of value there, whether it's worth all of this. uh, I don't, obviously, a league that has 30 players doesn't work. You need, I mean, you'd need like eight teams. It would be a minimal league. Right. That's 150, 130 guys, especially if they're 16, 17. I mean, is anyone going to sign up to be the 10th man on a team? Like, you need 10, 12, 15 kids to play basketball on a team. Unless you're, like, you know, Hickory High. <laughs> My team is on the floor. So who the hell is giving up, like, high school stardom and a chance to showcase for college scholarships to be the 11th dude on yeah. a team? Like, what? Why would you? Yeah. Okay, like, that. and they want everyone to move and their families to move to certain towns, and then you're going to Barts. No one's watching this thing. I can assure you this, the G League... Okay, The G League, which is actually very good level of basketball, it is guys that are in and out of the NBA. It is recognizable names from college. And then with Team Ignite, many of the top draft picks, those games on ESPN get virtually no rating. They put them on in the middle of the day, and that's about it. But nobody's watching. There's no interest. There's also no infrastructure of media, which is a very big deal. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of TV... Uh, viewership is tanking is because there's less traditional media, but like, like, okay, I, I'm here Thursday night. It's Thursday here in Michigan. The Michigan, Michigan state game is a big deal. The next two days, next three days, they play twice, Michigan and Michigan state. There is talk radio. There are four and five, I don't, know, there's 15 newspapers in the state websites. There's, all, there's TV networks. There's, t, you know, local TV. Everyone's talking about Michigan, Michigan state. Whether you know anybody, you, know, you go to those schools, you oh, it's the Michigan, Michigan State game. Maybe you watch. Even then, the rating will be not very good. Might be all right in Michigan. But without all that media, they could play that game, no one would know what's happening. So I don't see how this thing to me is I don't I have no idea what they're up to. I highly doubt um they would make the players would get would go for this. Yeah. They mentioned this is going to be like the academy system of Europe, soccer, okay? which alone is this weird system where they develop players like Barcelona signed Lionel Messi when he was 13 years old and it worked. But you go for that one diamond, you basically spend all of this money to get the next Lionel Messi and it it pans out or you sell players to other teams. That's basically it. It, that is not what this is <laughs> this doesn't work at all like that it's not the boston celtics saying we're now we're going to have an academy in boston for all the best players we can get that would be different that could work i, I don't even know how you compare those two things
3: yeah no i i think your point is exactly right uh, that uh, the, this is not something that builds a broad based following or a broad-based ability to to to, to have a big league. I, 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 as you said, Lionel Messi's one person. As I said, Simone Biles is one person. Uh, Michael Phelps was one person. You know, the the number of truly great prodigy types that could be worth that kind of money at that kind of an age is very, very small. And you are trying to throw a big net to cast in a lot of stuff, and you hope you pull out one special talent out of there. I, I I don't see the allure to the fans. I did see something I read in the CNBC story on this, that, you know, that, that the, the Porter guy that's in charge of this referred that, that he said, you know, young people don't really even want to watch the games. They just want to watch the highlights. And so that, that's where I get the feeling that, it, that you alluded to somewhat, that this could be almost basically a social media accounting trick of, we get the rights to these highlights and, we pump them out there and they get, you know, 1.8 million views of, you know, little Johnny's crossover and backup three and we make money off of that. But I, I don't that's really it. think you can. Yeah. Now, that's are you going to, are you going to sell families that, yeah, we we're going to take your kid in and we're going to make some money off his highlights and that's going to help him get to the NBA. Who good luck. cooks the meals? Like college
2: coaches in a lot of ways are babysitters, right? Like people don't want to say this out loud. They got literally people follow them to class and check if the player is going to be class at many, many big time programs. That's what the, they have. Graduate assistants to do that. They have full nutrition. They have infrastructure, like a league that starts without significant infrastructure. Again, they're light on details here uh, to me appears doomed for failure. Uh, I thought there was a really good story on The Athletic yesterday on Yipsy Prep and Amani Bates, and I thought, which is essentially some facsimile of this, right, like a, something created out of thin air to showcase a player, right, and this overtime league would overpay for three, four guys within the, uh, you know, within the high school structure, Mikey probably being one of them, in order to, uh, in order to promote them, right, well, like, Yipsy Prep, like, this guy came, and then he left, and then he transferred here, and then he, like, like it's a transient thing, and if you think you're gonna get 30 kids to march on in and do, yeah, some will show up for two weeks and then somebody's going to leave and someone's going to go here. Like it, I just to microwave the infrastructure of this, I think is borderline impossible. And uh, look, if they, if they pull this off, it would, they, there would have to be some, you know, and obviously the people that Carmelo Anthony's in it. Great. You know, like he's quoted in the Times story, seemingly reluctantly, if you see what he says. And then Kevin Durant's in it as well. Um, But like, Those guys are going to be around, you know, to to make sure they're, you know, they're uh, they're they're working shell drill. Right. Like there's there is a lot of development that that goes on. Like one of the things about college athletics, football and basketball that I think is extremely underrated and is something that as those entities, especially college basketball, have competition with other entities like the G League and like this, they need to accentuate is they have like a Big Ten staff has a coach who makes three million dollars and a staff that probably makes one point five. Right? Something like that, maybe between one and one five. So they have like paid experts there, and NCAA rules allow them to some extent to work with them at all times. I feel like those rules need to continue to change and evolve because the notion of like having kids on campus for summer school and only being able to work with them X amount of time, only be able to practice, like that's just like, it's just dumb business. There's no other way to say it. That's just dumb business. But the point is, there's infrastructure at all these places built for these kids to succeed, and some of them don't still. But the infrastructure is there. I think back, and we've all written about these prodigies over the years. I think about Jeremy Tyler, who skipped high school to go over to uh, to Europe. I went when I was at the New York Times to show him in Israel. He was a mess. He was a delightful kid. But he was like a 16-year-old emotional mess. His teammates hated him. He pouted. He had never gone through adversity and really, really, really struggled. Uh, and now, if he went to Louisville like he was supposed to go, like – would he have turned into an NBA all-star? I have no idea. But like, he would have got up every day at 5 a.m. and he would have lifted with the strength coach, and he would have worked out with Rick Pitino, and then he would have had assistants making sure he mind his p's and q's. He would have gone to class and learned, like all those things. I think are valuable because you need to teach these 16 to 18 year olds accountability and responsibility. Those are the things
3: that are of value to the NBA once you get there. Real quick, my last point on this is just, look, these ideas keep popping up because the NCAA still hasn't fixed the situation with how to compensate anybody, right? So we could eventually get to an NIL model that will be far from perfect, but addresses some of these chronic inequities. And until we get there, nature abhors a vacuum. So all these bad ideas keep filling the vacuum... Uh, and I think we just kind of have to
1: cycle through them until we get to a better idea. Yeah, uh, to me, this thing, even if you somehow get this thing going and it somehow made sense, the moment the NCA allows NLI, which is uh, Nil, sorry, they have a- they have an acronym at the NCA NLI and Nil. Thank you. <laughs> I love the NCA. <laughs> Your business is done. This is like I you know, like it's just done. it's It's like, okay. I can get hundred grand doing that or I can make half a million playing ball at Kentucky. I'm going to Kentucky, man. Like right. what? Like, it's not even close. Like if, if the, the guy that you want who has to do that one year, the Zion Williamson, the Amani Bates is going to make a freaking fortune playing college basketball because Nike is going to be a heck of a lot more interested in having you play for Duke than whatever this thing is. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, wherever your model you will your business will get it it, it could conceivably work if everything is static but it will not be static uh i remember a number of people wanted like to create a private college football playoff and pay all the schools enough money and do this different like there was all these concepts that used to come up i'm like it'll never work because once the college football decides to do the playoff that's the playoff like that, that that's the same way they'll eventually get rid of many of these bowl games like you can come up with a different concept but they have the right to just pop you Uh, so anyway all right well there's a topic we all crap on (laughs) we might find something not to crap on somewhere on the show here we'll see yeah we'll see how we do uh well let's get to coaching fires let's go we love we we never get upset with guys losing their jobs misery angst (laughs) bat angry fan bases Pete, you did a tremendous story uh, on Yahoo Sports, the basketball coaching carousel, which I thought was, it was very well done, well-researched, different stuff. So let's go through a couple of these, okay? Who's getting fired? Who's taking over? Uh, question number one on the Pete column, has Sean Miller coached his last game at Arizona? 17-19 overall, 11-9, the Pac-12, but that's got nothing to do with it. They, they self-banned themselves from the NCAA basketball a tournament because they are, you know these schools they care about the student athlete unless it's <laughs> not that good of a team and they don't care <laughs> and we'll kneecap these guys if it was a good team they'd be wailing at the NCA for punishing innocent innocent players when they're not that good no problem we don't care about you. Miller uh has been at a you know it's never made the never made the final four kind of famously got had some good Arizona teams all fell short has not won an NCA game since the in, federal investigation went public although you know we'll see how they would have done last year when it got canceled but uh your thoughts on uh this one we, we know what Pete thinks we'll start with you Pat yeah the the Miller Arizona thing is uh, I mean I think if you had asked all
3: of us in late 2017. And much of 2018, whether Sean Miller would still be the coach in March of 2021, we would have said no, but Arizona has, by golly, they've stood by their man, although nobody is sure why, uh, for sure, because as you noted, they has this many, zero NCAA tournament wins, never taken the final four. I mean, they have basically protected him like he's Bill Self, uh, without any of the, accomplishments of Bill Self, the number of people, whether they're fans or apparently administrators who are willing to lie to themselves about what they heard on the, the wiretap of him talking to Christian Dawkins. We all know what he was talking about, but you can convince yourself, no, that really wasn't it. There's really no proof there if you want to. That's fine. We don't know for sure what the NCAA has charged him with. We're going to find out soon. It looks like the ESPN filed a suit to get the notice of allegations, which Arizona has refused to release. Uh, A judge in Arizona superior court this week said, you can't keep hiding the NOA. So hopefully we're going to get that. I've heard potentially as early as next week and we'll see what's in it and what the charge is against Sean Miller but they're on a, you know, they're on the hook right now. Do we extend him? Do we get rid of him? What do we do? To me, I, I don't. Again, I don't understand why they have kept him this long, but uh, they have. And there's apparently a split amongst people who are involved in making this decision. And we'll see which way this thing comes down. I, I will still, I'll be surprised if Sean Miller is the coach at Arizona in 2021-22. Although. This case, like every other NCAA case, may still be dawdling along. At this point, I've
2: learned, do not bet against Sean Miller's survival. Because how many times would we have thought that? Now, we're clearly at a pressure point, right? I think this is the best way to put it. The university either has to stand on the table again and say Sean Miller is our guy. Here's an extension. Probably won't have a lot of guaranteed money, but we're going to keep rolling. They were decent last year. They would bring everybody back. Sean Miller actually did a pretty good job coaching this team. He struggled with the real high end talent teams to really maximize them. This is more like one of his Xavier teams. It was kind of some ham and eggers, and they they did a nice job. They weren't great by any means, but they did a nice job. Everybody's back. It's Arizona. They can probably add a uh, you know add a decent transfer or two. They're always going to sort of be able to cherry pick every every like first-team all-league guy at a UC school is going to end up there at the Big West or, or whatever. So I don't think Sean Miller would be back, but I, I wrote in the comments 50-50, and I, and I do believe that. Like, the board is going to have to get together and say, we're giving this guy an extension and go through. And then Sean Miller would have to sit back and say, I'm willing to, like, when these sanctions come down, get fired and take the perp walk. You know, which this clearly has impacted Sean Miller. If you look at him physically, he looks tired, he looks worn, they, like... The, the NCA investigation does more in taking a toll on a person in a program than the actual sanctions often do. And that has clearly happened to Sean Miller. You have constant phone calls with lawyers, there's constant worrying, there's constant doubt, you're constantly fighting demons. This has clearly caught up to him personally in that way. He just looks worn out. And so to last four full seasons through all this takes an unbelievable amount of fight you almost have to convince yourself that nothing happened, right? So you, you spend that long doing it, it's hard to just walk away from that fight. He only has one year left on his contract. You can say, okay, he'll go work for uh, for Van Gundy or he'll go work for Billy Donovan, the guys in the NBA he's closest to, but like, they still have to like, create positions, et cetera. To do that, the NBA is at its all-star break. So it's not like he's just going to join one of those teams. It probably wouldn't happen for a few months. So like, some of those logistics are a, uh, are, are a little bit foggy. So I feel like in the next... Week ten days, maybe less. We'll have a little bit of clarity on uh, on what happens next with uh, Sean. It's always it's always great theater. There, it's certainly uh, it's certainly
1: been more compelling than than the product on the floor. You would certainly certainly think yeah, he would be done, but again, like you said, it's made it four seasons. Some always convinced a lot of people out there that he's innocent. Not only that, I mean, just th- consider the the lawsuit against ESPN. <laughs> Or, or ESPNs had to file a lawsuit and they fought it. Like I'm yeah. a recruit. I'm a student paying a fee paying in. I'm a booster. I'm anybody taxpayer. I'd like to know what you guys are accused of. We won't tell you. And we will fight in court to keep <laughs> that secret from you, but keep <laughs> sending us money and please send your son to play for us. Like, yeah. like what, you know, like what kind of deal is who would go for that? Yet it works. I, yeah. I people are, but it's like, you're willing to fight in court to keep something hidden from me. And it's bad enough that you just kneecapped my team. Like all the guys, all the players in this team pretty much signed after the scandal. I think there's only one. But especially the freshmen and sophomores, since they fought in court to keep a secret from you, you signed anyway, and then they took away your possible NCAA tournament. <laughs> like, I mean, what a what a system. What a system yeah. to do to somebody! Trust us with trust us with your future, okay? Trust us. What we're hiding from you isn't that bad. Oh, it's bad enough that you don't get to even compete for. Me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But keep yeah, trusting no, us. Keep trusting us. Like no. who falls for this? Why is this? Why? Who in Arizona? I get it. Fandom makes these people crazy, but it's like. How do you look at this and go, well, this is an ethical group I really want to continue to support? <laughs> I mean, that's just some bad business, man. And oh, I know terrible. college basketball is ugly, bad business, but man, that hurts. So yeah. I don't know. Will he be back? Probably not. But because we're down to one season, you really can't send him in on the last season. You would, Here's the thing. It's funny. What I just laid out is why he shouldn't be able to recruit anybody. Yet right. people don't care. But if he's going into his last year, that is what, like, the stuff that actually affects recruiting. Like, nobody in their right mind should sign with Arizona unless they get an absolute explanation on why the hell you just hit a bunch of stuff and screwed over the previous guy. Yet they will. So, I don't know. Will he be back? We'll see. I kind of hope he is because it's it's certainly intriguing. Oh, yeah.
3: It is that the, 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 the Sean Miller high wire act has been four years of, of, intriguing, but. And
1: if he came out winning, it would be a phenomenal story. Like it'd be yeah. like from the ashes, baby, double bird to everybody. Just Sean Miller. Just <laughs> Like if they're like 30 and four next year, just be like, love it. I love
3: it. <laughs> One other point I wanted to make here, just actually dovetailing on what Pete said about the, um, the, the kind of the wear and tear of going through these investigations that never end. There's another layer to them now, which is this IARP and the critical case unit investigators have insisted on reinvestigating a lot of these cases that have already been investigated. And so now, I mean, from what I've been told, there is a whole nother layer of you must sit down for an interview with us. You must go through everything again. And I'm not sure they're asking a bunch of different questions, but you are basically like – You've been through the ringer. Oh, good. Guess what? You get to go back through the exact same ringer one more time at Kansas, at Arizona, at Louisville. If your case is gone to the IARP, you can't get off the treadwell, man. You just keep staying on it. Yeah. IARP
2: is NCAA jargon for just when you thought our cases couldn't get any slower in enforcement, we invented a new way to actually make them slower. It's really mind boggling if you think about it. Uh I've used this joke many times on the pod before when everyone's like, oh, well, what's going to happen at Louisville? What's going to happen at Kansas? I said, no, no one knows. The only safe prediction on a NCA investigation is that it will go slowly. They all go slowly. Every single one of them goes slowly. But they have actually, after having to wait a year and a half, two years for the feds to finish their investigation, they've actually came up and had one of their committees that called the committee and they brought in Condoleezza Rice and they invented a way to move even slower, like by their own bureaucratic standards this is really brilliant by them i mean it's completely brilliant we've just finished the fourth season and the the one thing i really want to pan the nca for and all this like Nobody uses more empty suit buzzwords than the NCAA. I mean, they have like they could they could write a book about it. Chicken soup for the empty buzzword soul. All right. (laughs) Transparency (laughs) is like the big one, right? How many times have you sat in those press? Oh, transparency, transparency, transparency. Well, How about you release your notices of allegations to the schools you're investigating and you don't let them hide them? You don't send it to some law firm. You don't. You are essentially aiding and abetting the cheaters. Like, after 100%. all that Condoleezza Rice nonsense, which has produced nothing in the panel of Jeremy Foley and Gene Smith and all these smart people, you know what's come out of it all these years later? Zero? Oh, totally. Zero, no, all right? Here's yes. one thing you can do to actually shame people for maybe not cheating. You can release the letters, all right? You think yep. about this. ESPN has to sue Arizona to get yeah. a letter at a public school that should be a public document. And here's the thing about NCAA Investigations. Everyone wants them to be tough, unless it's against them. So, do you really think like Greg Sankey's going to come out and say, "No, we want to keep these letters"? Nobody's going to come out and publicly be against that. Like it just, you can't do it. It's just bad. It's just bad optics. So, I feel most bad for for the players at Arizona. Who had a nice season. Who could have a nice season again next year? There, it will likely be more years of postseason ban. Uh, more than half of the Arizona players are uh, are from other countries. I, I'm looking now; they've got a Canadian from the NBA Latin American Academy. They got a kid from Paris, Istanbul, Lithuania. You know, we we joked on the on the group text when this recruiting class came together that uh, you know notice of allegations must not be uh, must not translate to Lithuanian. But like, I I really think that's like they've been forced to go do this now. Credit Sean Miller; he's kind of figured out a way and as Dan was pointing out, literally impossible circumstances to put together like a functioning roster, you know, like, like knowing the guillotine has been sitting over this program's head for so long, like in, in a perverse way, he deserves a lot of credit for inventing new ways. They have uh, Akinjo, who's a good player at Georgetown who transferred there. Like he has found out a way to cobble together a roster and a staff quite frankly, because like, who's going to look at their wife and say, Oh, I'm going to go be an assistant at Arizona. Things are going really well there. You know, like he's, figured out a way to do
1: it but yeah it's just it's just embarrassing for the ncaa that that, that it's lasted this long i would say this it's going to be hard to recruit another coach if you don't release the like who want you're going to get a better qual- quality coach uh, coaching pool if they know what they're walking into yeah. somebody's going to be like i'm not going there like uh, yeah. what what what's up so that part they need to uh release all right let's move on to georgetown uh pat uh pete says does not expect patrick ewing be fired fifty-eight and fifty-seven overall, uh, but certainly has not been the the glorious uh expectation a lot of us thought thought it would be. Yeah. So I, I put Patrick
2: Ewing in here and I was very clear, I do not think Patrick Ewing is going to get fired. It's been a long year at Georgetown, it's been a very difficult year at Georgetown. That the, the death of John Thompson Jr., you can't overstate just what a dynamic blow that was to that athletic department, to that university community, to that basketball program. And and, and I wrote this, uh, I remember when Georgetown kind of flailed around in their search and then, and then ended up with Patrick Ewing. It was the, the year the Final Four was in, uh, was in Phoenix. The problem with bringing in a legend is you have to acknowledge the fact that you may have to part ways with him someday, and that can be awkward. Look, Patrick Ewing is entering year five. There's one NIT appearance, zero postseason wins. I think he's about 20 below 500 in the, in the Big East, and he's 58 and 57. Most importantly, you are in what I consider to be the most basketball-rich area in America. And you are a car ride from a Final Four roster every day. And he just simply hasn't found a way to grab the hearts and minds of the local basketball community in Washington, D.C. And everyone in the Big East wakes up every day in full fear that Georgetown will someday maximize what Georgetown used to be. And that simply hasn't happened. So when we go into year five, I can't wait to hear all these Big East coaches being like, oh, Patrick Ewing's doing such a great job. It's what all the ACC coaches should say about Jim Christian. Yeah, let him sit up there and like just totally be a non-factor. <laughs> we can go into Boston and we can prep schools and get all the get all the best players. The worst thing that's happened to Patrick Ewing is that Juwan Howard has become at Michigan what Georgetown fans hoped Patrick Ewing would be there. He went and got Hunter Dickinson from DeMatha. So you have a center under your nose. It was obvious from Hunter's freshman year he was going to be a huge recruit. Mike Bray and the Notre Dame staff I know spent a ton of time there. Like this kid was an obvious, no-brainer center recruit. And you let Michigan come in and take him from right under your nose, right at, right there at the math. And so that's just one example. But the Georgetown staff is not a great staff. It's, it's, it's mediocre. Uh, Ewing himself. I know a lot of the coaches in the in the Washington DC area. He just hasn't really been around. Now again, last year has been a pandemic so it's it's hard to judge in that. But he basically had 3 full years to go and bond with the WCAC coaches to go and go out to touch base, to go work and he really hasn't done the legwork. And that's the problem here. Now, look, they have a top 6 recruiting class coming in. They got a top 20 players, the first 5-star uh, from rivals that Georgetown's had since Isaac Copeland, neither 13 or 14. Um, there is like a little bit of hope along the way. Um, there's some decent young players in the program. The problem is like Mac McClung is 20 times better at Texas tech than he was at Georgetown because he went there and he developed. So I just think there's, there is a lot of headwinds against Patrick Ewing and not a lot of people are talking about it. And I think in part, cause it's Patrick Ewing. And so it will be really interesting to see next year if this same sort of pedestrian performance comes, what Georgetown will do with with Patrick Ewing. That that's just that that's going to be high-end drama because it's just the, the greatest player in program history coming back as the coach at at a very difficult time. And it right now, there's no one that can argue that it's work.
3: Yeah. I mean, they, look, there is a real institutional resistance to. Moving on, Patrick Ewing, as you mentioned. I mean, it's not only within a year of John Thompson's passing, but but that whole you know John Thompson built everything, and everything Georgetown basketball has been since John Thompson stopped coaching is a John Thompson production. You know, it was his assistant Steve uh, Escherick. It was uh, it was JT three, and now it's Patrick, and you know that they're just there's nobody there. I think who has the gravitas or who's, who cares to have the gravitas to say, nope, we are we are blowing up the Ar- Thompson archetype and we're going to do something different. So I don't see that changing. I mean, Georgetown is a very, very serious academic school. So they've got, if they look at this, I think they have got much bigger things that they aspire to than, you know, making sure they're going to the NCAA tournament every year. I think they want to go to the NCAA tournament every year, but I don't think it's, you know, it's not like. It sure as heck ain't like Kentucky, you know, where we've got to go. So that's that that urgency is not there. Pete, I'll actually give you the finder's fee on it because you said from the get go, Patrick Eun's problem is going to be recruiting, and it's been recruiting. That's where they have fell fallen down on the job, as you mentioned. They have got he's I think he's finally gotten around to it in the last couple of years here now. Big miss on Hunter Dickinson, uh, Akinjo, who you mentioned at Arizona is probably the best player there. Mack McClung's the leading scorer at Texas Tech. Those are guys that were in the program and left. They had other people leave. They've had a lot of transients uh, within the program. They just haven't been able to put together a team uh, and keep it together long enough to see what they can do. I'm not, I'm not sure that Ewing is a bad coach. I don't know. If, I don't think he is. I think you know, coaching a game, he's pretty good, but. He's got to put together a team and see what happens, and I, I think he will get more chances to do that, and we'll see how he does. I, you know, it's not going to be—we're not looking at the end of Ewing there, but we're looking at a legitimate question of whether he can build and sustain the program from a recruiting standpoint. I'd
1: say next year is going to be a big, a big one for him. Obviously, he came in with with uh, incredibly high regard from the NBA. He's a legend. All of that. The one thing I would say is I think Georgetown hired him with the expectation of patience. And they've given him that, and we'll see. Can he grow into the job? Because it is hard to hit the ground running. Uh, Jawan Howard has done it, but it's hard. It's hard for former guys coming straight from the NBA. One of Jawan's benefits was his son was a good player and was on the kind of circuit, and so Jawan Howard's proven to be a tremendous coach at 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 uh, Michigan. And and the system of coaching and development of everything that happens down at the at Miami Heat is, is, is tremendous because it's all Pat Riley influence drop down. I mean, an NBA franchise with the most quote unquote culture. Like they have a culture and they keep their guys and they they build from within and they create this whole thing. So Howard came in really with that, but he also hit the ground running much better recruiting. Uh so Georgetown's gotta uh gotta get there. All right. Let's do these ones very quickly, because I don't think we need long discussions. South Carolina, 6-13 and 13 right now under Frank Martin. A few years ago, he went to the Final Four. I'm not expecting a lot of... Uh, uh, do, do Pete, do you expect him to get
2: fired? I would probably give it over 50% chance that he's fired. It's a big number. So there's two things. General, he's made one NCAA tournament in nine years. Now, he made the Final Four, and South Carolina, as a historical program, only has six NCAA tournament victories. Four of them came... From Frank that year. He would have been better off making four NCAA tournaments and getting knocked out in the first round over nine years, and he'd probably be fine. But there's just sort of been a one boom, lot of bust nature. Ray Tanner, the athletic director at South Carolina, nobody in the industry sees him there a year from now, and it's probably going to be less than that. So do you have him run another coaching search and bring in another coach if you're going to off off ramp him at some point, he has three years left on his contract. But the, the general thought is that he's going to be transitioned out sooner than later. And you basically have the awkward marriage of Shane Beamer and then whoever you hire as basketball coach. So those are the arguments to keep him. And then it just like South Carolina has a pretty good fan base for a place with no basketball tradition. Pat, I'm sure you've covered some games there over the years like they want to be good. And like it's 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 a good little environment yeah. there. I remember covering yeah. covering a couple games there over the years. And like there's just some apathy has uh, some apathy has set in. For the, Frank's problem if he wants to go to a New Mexico or a DePaul or somebody else is he makes three million a year. So he kind of got the big deal when he made the Final Four. There ain't anywhere in America that's going to pay him three million dollars a year. Like there's just no doubt about that. So. Does he play the long game and try to go somewhere for a million a year for five years, or does he try to try to stick it out and see if he can reverse fortunes there? They obviously had some NCAA issues tied to the uh, federal basketball cases, um, which aren't going to help in this uh, in this situation. But my – yeah, it's I would think it's in that 50-50 range, whether he's back or – maybe like 25-75, whether he's back and whether he's fired or – takes an exit uh, a soft landing somewhere else uh, because that looms as a a potential possibility too
3: yeah I think that I I think Frank Martin wants to get out of there every bit as much as South Carolina may want him to get out of there maybe more I think I think he's ready to go it's just does he have a place he can go he's he's a Miami guy I I don't know whether his record suggests that he could not get the Miami job if Jim Laranega were to retire but he would sure want it, I would think. Uh, there might be some attraction there. Uh, anywhere else in Florida, perhaps. Uh, if, if if something else opens up at an FIU or an FAU, now that's a pretty big step down, but uh, it would not shock me. I just I think that he's ready to try something else. And I think South Carolina would, would, would be actively encouraging him to try something else. So, you know, whether it's this year or whether it's next year, I think that's we're we're ready for s- substantial change there. I agree with Pete that, yeah, Ray Tanner's time is short. Um, and there's going to be a lot of change at South Carolina.
1: Well, the women's basketball team is doing so well. Yes. So, you know, that I think it shows there's some basketball potential there. Um, if I I think Frank He'd be perfect at South
3: Florida. That's just a random thought. Wouldn't Frank Martin be perfect at South Florida? Yes, yes, absolutely. I you know, Brian Gregory's done okay there, but I don't think, you know, okay. I just don't yeah. know whether I think I'll tell you I think he'd be enough. good at
1: DePaul. I think he'd be good with City Kids and DePaul. Yeah. DePaul's a great yeah. job. I yeah. mean, they've gave Lado you know? all these years. I mean, <laughs> oh, Yeah. Uh so, you know, I, I I think Frank Martin's got something still to give. Yep. I and, agree. And you know, that's what you say. It's a, it's a fascinating stat. That before their final four run, the University of South Carolina had won two games in the NCAA basketball tournament. Yes, i had, i had, i had read i had i had read that. I'm I'm like pretty sure it's true. Yeah. I, I don't see Good why would for
2: I us. forget where along the way that I'd, I I think I read it in one of the South Carolina columnists when I was looking around to see what his buyout was.
1: All right, quickly, who's going to be the coach at Boston College and Penn State? Both jobs are open. Let's give let's do this quickly, Pete. So the pools overlap a little
2: bit. If I had to predict Penn State, I would say Dennis Gates, who's the head coach at Cleveland State right now. Another name there is Michael Shrewsbury, the former Celtics assistant, former Butler assistant, who's Purdue's lead assistant right now. Ryan Odom is uh, is a name there. And I had one other name in my column on Yahoo. I I, I forget. But I, I I really think like that. Kind of level of names, then the BC search is wide open. It's gonna be really interesting. There is there is no favorite. There's like seven guys who have like a 13% chance to uh to get it. And the the list is your sort of familiar northeast list. Oh, Mark Schmidt is the other one at Penn State. He's obviously at BC too. John Becker at Vermont, who's done an unbelievable job there. Ryan Odom at UMBC, who obviously had the famous upset of Virginia and the say tournament, and then there's uh, Joe jo- uh, Joe Kyle Jones, Isley, from the, Yale, right. the Michigan assistant. Yep, Joe Jones at Yale. Certainly, uh, certainly a good name. Uh, good name there. I, I have a more exhaustive uh, list of names in my uh, in my column, which isn't up in front of me right now. But I I feel like it, it's it it is a true search. They are in the midst of talking to uh, to a lot of people, and I I feel like there's uh,
1: yeah they're they're going to uh, they're going to kind of winnow uh, winnow down from there. I would take Mark Schmidt out of St. Bonaventure, but I won't because I don't need an angry text from Adrian Wojcicki telling me to leave <laughs> damn coach alone. So He would melt down. It is. I mean, so Mark Schmidt should not get hired. <laughs> it is a bit endearing
3: that him and Mike Vaccaro are are like unabashed fans of their uh, alma mater's team, unlike Dan Wetzel and, and the University of Massachusetts. I,
1: they're so unabashed that I believe we have a dossier on some recruiting situations. <laughs> so we may let's I put it this way: if there's a recruiting scandal, pops <laughs> out at St. Bonaventure, the very first person I am going to <laughs> be considering is ESPN's <laughs> NBA insider. <laughs> My what about college. they?
3: They weren't involved in the welding certificate guy, were they? No, that was that was before. That's one, like one of my all-time favorite basketball scandals. Ooh,
1: brutal. <laughs> brutal. The
3: kid admitted to school with a welding certificate.
1: So elitist a, to look down on the welders. Where would we be I, without welders? All the I am not anti-welder. Down. I am not. I am pro-welder. <laughs> I just I'm not
3: sure that gets you entree to a four-year university.
1: Just World needs thought. welders too, Danny. World needs welders too. All right, we'll get to more people losing their jobs mm-hmm. soon. All right, let's get to a little football. It's time for some FCS Degenerate Minute. We gotta get to it. We're gonna make our picks. Uh, Sully, what
0: you got? This is the SCS Degenerate Minute. I have one question for you, my fellow FCS fanatics. Can we talk last week with the number one bison beaten by double jujits? The YSU penguin coach trucking opponents on the sidelines. And of course, this disaster in the Kibi Dome. I don't think we will.
3: Watch the official. He's not on the post when the ball is kicked. I'm not even sure he looked up. Seemed like he was adjusting his mask. Yeah, Dennis, I didn't see that official even look up. And but what we do know is that ball didn't hit the upright. Play the play stands because again, there's no video. Nobody had the upright. Of the
0: upright. Week four's can't-miss matchup is down south in the swack. Neon Deion Sanders and Jackson State travel to Grambling State for their first test of the season. Grambling has won 16 straight at Eddie Robinson Stadium in our Lang 11. Kickoff is set for Saturday at 1 Eastern on ESPN3. For YSCP, I'm Sean Sullivan. All right, Coach Prime heading to
1: Grambling State. Big underdog for Coach Prime. Uh, I've been reading up on my Clarion ledger, so I'm up on the team, the the, the Jackson State Tigers. Uh, let's take a look at our standings. Pat, you're 2-0. and Woo! Pete Not and that. Sully, 1-1. One and one. And uh, I'm 0-2. The Dakotas have been unkind to me. <laughs> <laughs> Pat's Pat's uh, scientific
2: method of family in North Dakota and what t-shirt he owns has yes. led him yeah. to 2-0. Right. Exactly. Right.
1: So uh, we'll start with you, Mr. Leader. Jackson State at Grambling. Grambling is given 11. What you got? You're going to give 11 to a coach who is
3: still fuming over his stolen, not stolen, maybe stolen, could have been stolen items. Now, Coach Prime's on the warpath, baby. He's going to have his team breathing fire going down there. At least enough fire to cover the 11. I don't know whether they win, but they're going to cover. Jackson State.
2: Nah, I, I, I need to see more from Prime. They, they had a cupcake in their, uh, in the, in their first game. Uh, that roster still has some, uh, some turnover to, uh, to do. So I'm not going to take them. I'm going to take the uh, large amount of points and go for a Grambling blowout.
0: I will go with Grambling. Big fan of the Tigers. And uh, I mean, I guess they're technically both Tigers. But lay the points. Give me the home Tigers. Haven't lost at home for a few years. So that's pretty impressive. They're going to keep it going against Jackson State.
1: They are uh, grambling. The, Louisiana, the Tigers from Louisiana are a great home team, but I am all Coach Prime bandwagon. We're turning around. I'm counting on you, Coach, at least to cover. So I'm taking Jackson State. So there you go. The other big one, uh, if you get this before Thursday night, South Dakota at versus North Dakota. Huge. Uh, it's a pretty good game. So keep an eye on that. But plenty to go on. Uh, if you uh, want to cruise around ESPN Plus. <laughs> a lot of FCS out there for you. Or occasionally Fox Sports Southwest Plus, too. Plus, yes. A lot of pluses. Let's get to this. Uh, we we left with an ongoing saga of uh, a kangaroo from mm. Mississippi who was loose in Alabama and was headed to Indiana. We found out his name is Jack. Jack the Kangaroo. How about that? He has been detained in Winfield, Alabama. He got caught. He did. He made a run for it. Uh, Andy Dufresne of Kangaroos. <laughs> it's not in, uh, what's that thing? Montenegro or something. What was I was, I was, I was uh, where did
3: they go? Oh, uh, man. Wherever
1: they went. He's not, San Montaneo. San okay. Montaneo with Red walking the beach. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no,
2: Jack got uh roped. You know, it's a pretty low level of pop culture uh, knowledge when I'm getting the trivia right. <laughs> yeah.
1: so. uh, Shawshank. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it was like a couple It was like a couple months ago, sometime during the quarantine summer or something, I I saw the beginning of Shawshank for like the first time ever. Really? Yeah, because I never watched it except like it's on TNT or TBS Uh or whatever. And I I think I'd seen like the beginning. Maybe I'd seen it once, but I forgot like the first five minutes. It's just not something I sat down as appointment viewing. It's just on every night. It's like seeing the first first scenes of The Godfather. Like it's on all the time. Like, oh, yeah, I'll just tune in now. (laughs) Anyway, Jack got caught. Uh, our B and H livestock guy, uh, Braxton Bassinger, says Jack was roped and tackled. Uh, about 20 dudes, uh, about a dozen people, got out on horseback to search for him. I think the horses are traitors. <laughs> are you a traitor? If you're a horse and you you help the humans catch another animal,
3: uh, Good point. I don't know. I mean marsupials and mammals you know there's a little, it's not an easy coalition there you know. So
1: basically interesting little detail though that brings up why I think the guntown kangaroo was killed. Uh-oh. Bassinger says that he was getting unconfirmed sightings as far as 12 miles away, but in fact the jack didn't really run very far. They stay in one area if they're not messed with, Bassinger said. So our opinion that that the the guntown kangaroo went to spring break in Fort Lauderdale seems unlikely.
3: He did. I don't want to hear it. The Guntown uh-huh. kangaroo did, was not killed. He's fine. And he has been
0: traversing uh-huh. the South.
3: Don't
2: give <laughs> me that, that. guy's
0: full of shit. Who made him an authority on <laughs> kangaroos?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we clearly have much more depth of kangaroo knowledge. We do.
1: Also, this little detail. Uh, this is by our kangaroo expert. I think it's yeah, Carol Robinson still on the story at LL.com. Why he didn't go to Fort Lauderdale kangaroos acclimate to the weather it's only when temperatures drop below 30 that a supplemental heat source is needed the kangaroo no it I, that
3: doesn't matter look don't don't try to confuse me with this stuff i, I, I don't want to hear it the kangaroo wanted to go on vacation he went on vacation he had a good time he hopped right back to that's the deep south from the deeper <laughs> south in south florida it's the same kangaroo he has not been killed he's fine And yes, I was one of those children who had to be told when it was time to put down the family pet that he went to a farm upstate, okay? But the (laughs) Guntown Kangaroo
1: is fun.
2: I can't top what Pat just said. Sorry.
1: (laughs) All right. All right, let me get on to this. Uh, One of our listeners, uh, Tristan Baurick, sent me this. And I I thank you, Tristan. Are you guys familiar with what a nutria is? A nutria. Yes. Oh, yes.
3: Oh, yeah. Like a super sized no. rat. It is, yes. Oh, it yeah. is
1: uh, like the um, Princess Bride, a rodent of unusual size. The Nutria is a massive South American rat that uh, has taken over South Louisiana. Oh boy! And lives out in the bayou and and destroys uh, the wetlands, the very mm. valuable. Uh, the wetlands of South Louisiana.
3: We're coming and we ain't backing down.
1: <laughs> this is a co- coach. Oh, if Coach O is not involved in this, I'm going to be stunned. So here we go. <laughs> in an effort to help control the nutria population, an absolute genius named Gabe McCormick, but not spelled like McCormick normally because it's Louisiana. Decided to create something called the Nutria Rodeo. What? The Nutria Rodeo. And uh, he thought (laughs) that uh, he'd get a few of his buddies. They'd go out on boats with guns and shoot Nutria in the swamps (laughs) near Venice, Louisiana. Uh, the and, and try to knock back the quote booming population of orange toothed orange tooth South American rodents. These things are huge, and they have big orange teeth. This is the most terrifying freaking animal. I if I saw a nutria, oh my god! They will they will put a little fear in you. Anyway, uh, he was he was hit with an unusual problem. He thought he'd get a couple hundred. Uh, nutria. They thought they'd go out and kill. And he had a deal with a local zoo who were going to take the Nutria and feed them to their alligators and stuff. There you go. Okay. Good solution. Because what do you do with a couple hundred dead <laughs> Nutria, right? I mean, that's <laughs> as the New Orleans... This is all from NOLA.com. They know nobody wants the fur and very few people want to eat the meat. God bless uh, yeah. you if you do. I mean, good God, you get a Popeye's chicken sandwich two ninety nine. dollars What are you doing eating Nutria meat? <laughs> How hard are times when you're turning to Nutria, <laughs> the dollar value yeah, menu no over you. at the McDonald's? No, thank you. Do you think the uh,
2: first overtime elite team should be named the Overtime Elite Nutria? I'm fascinated <laughs> Do you by think this that animal. Would help them go viral.
1: <laughs> I plan on going down the Nutria hole, the rabbit hole of watching <laughs> YouTube videos of people shooting Nutria tonight.
3: Here we go. has replace the helicopter.
1: The they helicopter assaults
3: on the feral hogs. This I want to go.
1: I want to be the grand marshal of the Nutria Rodeo. That's what I want. Uh, anyway, 200 people to showed up at this bowl. rodeo. You're, 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 you will not come. 200 people showed up. Wow. They had so many people showed up. Of course, it's, it's South Louisiana. We're coming. The Nutria Rodeo and me are, we are, this is my thing my jam. Dan, do you ever go to, do you ever go to Hong Kong and Faneuil hall?
2: No. Well, it's the bar in Boston. Uh, it's an early 20s staple where uh, they serve the meat on a stick. Like they come around with like Chinese. Oh yeah. On yeah, sticks yeah. yeah. At, at one in the morning. I'd imagine that's new.
1: Oh, oh wow. nice thought. I don't know. There's plenty of <laughs> swamp rats in Boston, uh, but uh, not, cannot compete with this thing. Yeah. No. So the problem was the 200 ro- hunters showed up. Uh, prizes were awarded for the most kills and the biggest nutria caught, obviously. But then the problem was, 1,500 nutria got killed. Whoa! So they pile them up on the dock. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> this guy gets a big truck to come take them to the zoo, and the zoo says that's too many nutria. <laughs> also, it's
3: they stunk too much. I was gonna say you're gonna have rotting nutria meat like stacked up. That
1: that's lovely. They were not conducive to feeding the animals to our alligators, the zoo official said. So then they had nothing to do. So now the problem is this guy was stuck with 1,500 dead nutria rotting on a dock in Venice, (laughs) Louisiana. (laughs) And he got a local crab boat came by and said, I'll take them. And they baited their crab traps with nutria. (laughs) So now... You're
3: catching crab, but you're gonna eat the crab that ate the nutria. I I'm not really
1: liking this. I food could show. not love Louisiana more. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine this? You're sitting there going, "What the hell am I gonna do? I got this huge mountain of dead rats, and this <laughs> dude comes by in a boat. What you doing <laughs> with them dead rats? You want them? Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. But then yeah, we're all the crabs, and then we're supposed
3: to eat the crabs, and I don't want to eat those crabs. I'm sorry. Like, Put a little really crystal
1: is. hot sauce on that baby. It might taste good. You don't know. <laughs> the pictures, the whole thing. Nola.com. Phenomenal story. Oh, Tristan. Goodness. Oh, it's Tristan. He's the one who wrote it. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't even check on his link. He's the environment reporter for Nola.com. He clued me in on the story.
3: We need to keep him on retainer because the, the environment reporter at Nola.com is seeing some stuff.
1: This yeah, this guy has seen some. Yeah, including a pile of dead South American rodents. 1, and these are the strong ones, because they would have had to swim all the way there. Oh yeah. These aren't the yeah. weak ones. They die out.
3: <laughs> the
1: weak Good ones, God. yeah, they
3: died somewhere in the Gulf. Oh. The strong all right. ones are there. Well maybe Southwest Louisiana changes their nickname. <laughs> fighting Nutria. If they don't want to uh, if raging Cajuns ever becomes culturally insensitive, they can become the fighting nutria. I love it. <laughs>
1: I had no idea Nutria existed until, like, five hours ago. Now I'm fascinated. All right. That's our, that's our show. Okay. How can we top that? How can we top that? Uh, like a stinking rot of Nutria, this show ends. Please subscribe on social media. Uh, subscribe. Share us on social media. Tell your friends. We'll be back next Tuesday with more.